it's a gift to be with each other. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Christian, and if you're a visitor here this morning, welcome. We're very thankful that you're here. Uh, many of you have been a part of this church since before I came. I, I, it was about two years ago that my wife and my children and I moved up to Summit, and we've been here for now two years. And uh, when I reflect on that fact, uh, there's a few things that happen. First, uh, there's a lot of gratitude in me for the way that I personally have changed and, and grown over these two years. Uh, there's also a, a feeling of, uh, well, I think it's a feeling of thankfulness to see how God has changed this church in those years. Many of you will, will be able to see that. The church has changed a lot in these last few years, hasn't it? Uh, I've grown, and I think the church has too. Uh, and that's something to be really thankful for. And when I say grown, I don't just mean numerically, it is true that there are more people here uh, than two years ago, and that's something to be grateful to God for. Some of you have come in these last two years. Uh, but the growth that, I, that makes me inspired is to think of the way that God has helped many of us grow in faith, uh, how our faith has deepened, uh, how we felt closer to God over these years behind us. Uh, and when I think of that, what happens for me is that more than ever, I want to take responsibility for helping us grow even more. If you were here in the winter, you heard me say that the goals that the staff and I had decided to hold on to for this year were, were summed up with three words, gather, grow, and go. Uh, in the winter, we took some time to look at how Jesus gathered his disciples to see him. As a church, we're gonna work at that, gathering to see Jesus. In this series that was just behind us, Visible, we saw how we, when we grow, we can show Jesus to others. We go out in the world to make him visible. Uh, this morning, what we'll begin is a consideration that really centers on that middle word, grow. Because what I believe God is calling us to is to take the steps that we can take so that we grow as followers of his. Uh, and that's my goal this morning and in, in the weeks ahead this summer. It's to help us grow by focusing on one single gift, which I believe is the gift that God has given to us, which has the most potential to help us grow, more than maybe any other gift of his. And it is the gift of prayer. The gift of God's invitation to experience communion with him in such a way that we personally and then all together change. Uh, so we grow as followers of Christ as we grow closer to God. Am I right that there's not a single person in here who right now would say, I know enough about prayer and I pray plenty. Maybe I pray too much. Would anybody in here say that? I doubt it. But instead we need to grow and that's what we're gonna focus on this summer. 10 years back, uh, my wife and I, Michelle, had been in the midst of a beautiful experience in planting a church and watching God grow it. And it was a summertime, and I was thinking about what was ahead, and my thought was I needed help. And so I reached out to a very wise mentor, a professor of mine from seminary who I'd become close friends with. I told him, the church that I'm leading, it's growing, and we need help. Uh, would you be willing to meet with me, and I want to share my own thoughts and hear from you about how to lead faithfully? He said, absolutely. Uh, we sat down for lunch in Princeton. As soon as we sat down, he said, hi, Christian, how are you? I unloaded on him. It was word vomit. 
I just started telling him about all the plans I had for the church. The waiter had to sort of get in there to take our order. I continued. Uh, I said, Daryl, I think I got a new approach to preaching. That's gonna help us be more faithful. And I've got this strategy for how to develop our leaders and, and really work on helping them be more mature. And then I've got this idea about adult discipleship. About halfway through, I noticed his eyes sort of glazed over. You ever talk to someone and they're no longer listening? It didn't slow me down. I, I, I just turned up the heat. I thought, I gotta get through this. The food came, he was finished before I even stopped. And after telling him all of my strategies for how to make things work, I finally said, what do you think? And he paused and he narrowed his eyes at me and just kind of looked at me. So I started now to take my first bite and I was feeling nervous now because he was giving me one of those stares. You know what I mean? Not exactly smoldering, but kind of like that. And then he said one word. He said, pray. Pray. You need to slow down and pray. You need to practice with everybody that God has brought you together with. You need to practice being in God's presence. You need to experience the gifts that only come when you sit still and are there with God and God gives you what you need and you don't even know you need it yet. You need to stop talking all the time with God and you need to sit in silence and learn to listen to God because he's ready to speak to you but unless you slow down, you'll never hear a thing. You need to come to God when you're successful and your church is growing so that you can tell him how grateful you are and say thank you. You need to come to God in prayer with all of the things that you've done wrong, all of the mistakes that are behind you, your weaknesses, the things that you're ashamed of and you don't want anybody to know about and you need to tell him in prayer. You need to stop always telling God your plans and then wait and listen for his plans and then ask him to make his own plans come into being in your church. What you need more than anything else, Christian, is to pray. Isn't that good advice? Now, he didn't just say it, because that's what Christians are supposed to say when you ask what's the most important thing, right? Pray and do your quiet times. That's not why he said it. Ten years earlier, he'd been invited uh, with a group of uh, professors from seminaries all over the country by the Lilly Foundation. They paid for him and a group of others to study churches that were thriving to find out what makes them work. And they went off looking for all kinds of clever strategies and how to make your focus just right and what kind of, you know, uh, gear to get involved in your church and what kind of leader do you want. And what they found is none of those things mattered nearly as much as a few core competencies that they discovered in the churches, one of which was that every church that was thriving and healthy was a church that practiced regular communion with God in prayer. Uh, I went away from that meeting thinking, okay, I, I need to, as a leader, do the very best I can to help the people that God has given me to lead grow faithfully and, and, and put that meeting beside or behind us. What I want now all these years later is as the pastor at Renaissance Church is I want to help us grow in a healthy way. And, and for, for us as a church, at a point where we are growing, where we do have changes ahead of us, which are good, the most important thing is for us to grow in a healthy way. Um, some of you are here. You're not a part of this church. It's your first time here. It may be your last time. You'll figure that out depending on how the rest of this message goes, right? <laughs> but you also, you also need 
to grow in prayer, whether you know it or not. Right? There might even be some people who, who've come and they say, I'm not even sure what I believe about God. But do you know that the impulse of every human heart when life gets challenging and grinding and lonely and successes never deliver on their promises is also to reach out beyond yourself in the hopes that there's a God who's there that is listening? All of you are here on purpose. And all of you can grow in a healthy way. That's my goal this morning. It's to start us on what we'll do every week that I'm here with you this summer. Start us learning about prayer so that we can grow, not just to know more, but so we can pray more than we do now and in a way that is faithful so that we find the gifts that await us when we learn to pray in the way that God's people are meant to pray. And I want to give that to you this morning and each week as a gift to help you personally and us all together grow in a healthy way. I want you to look at the words up on the screen. They come from Psalm 34. These are uh, the words of a man named David who was someone who knew how to pray because he prayed all the time in every circumstance. And in these words, which we're going to look at together in a moment, he shares out of his experience of prayer he shares what it's like and he encourages others because he wants his own experience to be shared by others. He wants them to pray too. Uh, in a very clear and simple way in these few words, he depicts what prayer is like. Now listen to what he says. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. Now here is a man who, like every other man or woman who's ever lived, has on the journey of his own life some trouble, who knows what it's like to be afraid of some things, who has, in fact, some memories of his past that make him feel ashamed. Uh, going through life as every one of us does, David pauses and then he reaches out to God from his heart in prayer and he finds the experience to be so transformative that he describes it as becoming radiant. He turns himself away from everything that traps him. He looks to God and the experience changes him altogether and because of this experience, he wants others to have the same. Do some of you in here know what it's like to have something in life that makes you afraid? or something behind you on the path that makes you ashamed. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's a conversation that happened this morning or yesterday. You think about how you were and you feel awful. Uh, do some of you know what it's like to face trouble of every kind? Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Uh, maybe it's this mental anguish that's tra trapping you. Uh, this man, David, like every other person, knows life when it gets like that. But what's happened for him is on life's road, he stopped and he prayed. And it made all the difference. And now he's thinking about all of the people that he knows who have the same experience and he wants them to know the joy and the transformative power of prayer. And so he, thinking of them, he encourages them to do what he's done with the simplest way of describing what prayer is, he says this, look at these three words, look to him. Because what he's done as a person of prayer is what he wants others to do. And the simplest way to describe what prayer is at its heart for this man is looking 
to God, wherever you are in life now, I want you to try this imaginatively. There are many things in your life that are capturing your attention because they're not as they should be and you know it. And don't you find yourself looking at those things more than you wish you would? Yeah? Did anyone here wake up at three in the morning with that vexing problem and now their attention is grabbed by it? Anybody else? Yeah? Don't try to hide those dark circles under your eyes. <laughs> Did anybody else wake up too early because of that thing they're afraid of down the road or, or they regret behind? Here is what prayer is. Are you ready? It's pausing and taking your eyes off of whatever that thing is and then looking to him. It's the gift that is for the young person who's terrified of having to go back to school because of how dreadful school is. And it's just a frightening place. It's the gift for the father who is aghast at his own failures yet again and doing just a bad job with his kids and wishes he was further along. It's the gift for the woman who is right now afraid because there's a decision and she doesn't know which way to go. It's the gift for the church altogether that's growing but wants to know what does God actually have for us in the future. It is the gift that God gives, listen to this, and it's remarkable, of his willingness to pay attention to us even when we ignore him so that when we're ready to take our attention off of all of that and look to him, then we will find ourselves experiencing the closeness that he made us for and then we'll grow in a healthy way. And that's what... David teaches us just in this little moment. And it's what we need to learn. And I'm going to tell you why we need to learn it. It's not just so we have more ideas about prayer. It's so that you and I and all of us together as a church begin to grow closer to God as we learn, not only learn, but also begin to practice prayer in a way that is more faithful. Um, do you feel at the end of the day, do you feel like this? I have a lot of regrets uh, in today. And the one that, that's the greatest for me is I regret how much time I spent in prayer. I just prayed way too long today. <laughs> I've never met anybody who said that. Uh, you don't regret, um, you know, I, I've just given too much of my best time and energy to communing with God and it's just been so great, but gosh, I really neglected watching reruns of The Office. <laughs> uh, most of us will say, I wish I prayed more and I wish I knew how to do it better. And many of us will make this mistake. The reason I don't is I'm just too busy. Have you ever said that? It's not because you're too busy. I, I'll tell you what, it's because you have been pursuing prayer in a very immature way and it's, it's, it's so uninspiring that why would you spend more time doing that? But what you need is to grow to see the gift of prayer. And, and then when you do that, you'll find the experience of prayer like being with the best possible uh, companion that any life could ever have in it. The kind of friend who is accepting and loving, who builds you up, makes you feel more confident than before, gives you good guidance and the direction for life's, uh, 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 the forks in the road, helps you know which way to go, recovers uh, you when you're weak and gives you strength for the journey ahead, who guides and empowers you. That's what God's presence is like when we learn to look to him and it's the wrong ideas about prayer that most often keep us from seeing God. So what I want to do this morning is try to clear away some of the misunderstandings about prayer 
so that in the weeks ahead, we can begin to see with more accuracy how God wants us to pray. There's going to be lots of questions that get raised as we think about prayer. I promise. I won't answer them all. Maybe not uh, even a tiny bit of them today and maybe not all summer, but many of them will come up and we'll learn. And the reason we need to learn is many of us have the wrong idea about how prayer works. Take a look at this image up here. This is an, a scene on an ancient piece of pottery. The man on the left who has his palms uh, sort of extended and who's down on his knees is pleading with the man on the right because the man on the right has power and the man on the left is desperate because his, the life of his daughter is threatened. And so he's pleading with the man who has power to help him. Uh, the man there on his knees is Chryseis and he's pleading with Agamemnon. This is a scene from an, uh, a, a story that's uh, older than many of the stories that you and I have ever heard. It's from Homer's Iliad. Some of you maybe have, have read the Iliad. There, Homer tells the stories which uh, show how the ancient mindset was shaped. And he tells the story of Chryseis, whose daughter was kidnapped by Agamemnon's armies. And, and Chryseis went to him pleading with, her, with him for her release and uh, when Agamemnon said no, it drove Chryseis to open his heart to his god, Apollo, in prayer. And there in the beginning chapters of the Iliad, we have one of the most ancient prayers that we have in writing. Chryseis's prayer to Apollo. A man who pleads with his god for the release of his daughter who's been imprisoned. Uh, we're going to come back to the story for a moment, but let me ask you, what drives you to prayer? Uh, maybe some of you have children who are on the wrong path and your heart breaks for them and that's what makes you pray to God. Uh, maybe some of you have beloved uh, friends who are trapped. Maybe they're not literally prisoners of war, but some kind of emotional or spiritual war has them trapped and you pray for them often. Uh, maybe some of you yourself are prisoners of war of the war that your mind rages against you or the war that it is in your household because the primary relationship that you have, maybe it's your marriage or uh, with your own children, is in such disarray that it's, it's got you imprisoned and you pray for it. And whatever it is, let it come into your mind. I know that many of you plead with God in prayer because you tell me about it. In this ancient scene here between Chryseis and then Apollo, we get to see his prayer in the Iliad in such a way that reveals, and I want you to see this right up here, it reveals how prayer works for the ancient Greeks. And I'm going to show you Chryseis' prayer because listen now, in a moment I'm going to show you that in the way that the ancient Greeks thought about prayer, we ourselves often have the wrong ideas about prayer and they follow the way that the ancient Greeks thought. And because of that, we don't pray as much or in the way that we ought to. Uh, here, I want to show you Chryseis' prayer. The first part of it, uh, which is called the invocation, reads like this. Hear me, Lord of the silver bow, who set your power about Chryseis and Killa, the sacrosanct, who are Lord in strength over Tenedos, Smintheus. Uh, anyone who knows the details of the Iliad well understands that this prayer begins with a list of names for the god Apollo that are meant to puff him up and make him feel important. It begins with also a reminder of the 
deeds of power that Apollo is responsible for. Again, in such a way that the prayer aims at making the God feel proud of what he's done in the past. Lord of the Silver Bow refers to a time when Apollo freed a large number of people with the silver arrows that he sent down from heaven. Uh, Chryseis and Killa, the sacrosanct, recalls a moment where the God used his power to free another group that was trapped forever. Killa, the sacrosanct. It sounds like an ancient gangster, right? It's not, but Kila, hey, Kila. Um, Lord over Tenedos, that's uh, an island that was held captive and Smintheus was the name that Apollos got in that moment for freeing the people from an infestation of mice. It's an amazing ancient story. The point is in the invocation, what we see is a pattern that is not only in Chryseis' way of praying, but all ancient Greek prayers that reveals the first principle behind how prayer works for the ancient Greeks and it is technique is absolutely essential if you want to get God to listen. You have to use the right words, the right phrases, the right titles for the gods. You have to puff them up or otherwise they're not going to listen to you. It's all about technique and we see that very plainly in this prayer. Now as he goes on from this opening invocation, we get to the second part of the prayer. Here it is. Uh, this is called the argument. Chryseis says, If it ever pleased your heart that I built your temple, if it ever pleased you that I burned all the rich thigh pieces of bulls or goats, can you tell what he's doing? He's buttering Apollo up for the time when he makes a request. Right? We all have that friend who comes and starts telling us how much he appreciates us right before he asks us for something, right? Or have you ever had this with your children? Mom, I just want you to know, I, I've not been appreciating you as much as I ought to have lately. Right? You're like, okay, what are you going to ask for? Uh, the argument in ancient prayers is that moment where the person who has followed the right technique to get God's attention begins to remind the God of all that he or she has done in order to merit a favorable response. And that's the second part of ancient prayer. It's like quid pro quo, this for that. I did this for you, God. Now it's time for you to do something for me. It's based on the ancient social norm of reciprocity. When someone gives a gift in the ancient world, when you receive a gift, not only do you get the gift, but now you get an obligation with it, which is that you have to pay back that gift at a later time. We go out to the restaurant. I say, why don't you let me get it? this time. It's because I want you to get it next time. And I'm going to order steak and lobster when you're paying. That's how it works. And here Chryseis projects that pattern of this for that onto the gods, onto the divine. And that's the second thing about how prayer works for the ancient Greeks. It's technique and it's merit. And now after getting Apollo ready, this is the third part of the prayer. It's called purpose. It's the purpose of the prayer. Bring to pass this wish I pray for. Let your arrows make the Danans pay for my tears shed. Chryseis is thinking of how many nights he spent weeping for his daughter. He, knew, he counts all the tears and says, that many arrows, put them in the Danans. The Danans is the name of the army that has taken his daughter. And what he's asking for here, the purpose of his prayer, the request, and that's the third part of how prayer works for the ancient Greeks, it's always about a request, is for revenge. And it is remarkable if you would go ahead and read the Iliad and then look at the, the other ancient prayers that we have in writing from the ancient Greeks, it's remarkable how often their prayers really come down to asking for revenge 
But even the ones that aren't about revenge, all of them share this common characteristic. The only reason anyone ever comes to God with a prayer is to request something. It's to go to God to get something in return. Uh, now, look at all three of them here, and, and let's leave Chryseis's prayer behind. Uh, that one prayer is representative of how all ancient people approached the gods. They came essentially, first of all, with the idea that I will only get God's ear if I employ the proper technique. And then secondly, they behaved in such a way that showed that they were convinced that they could never hope to get a favorable hearing unless they merited it, unless they had some argument that they could bring for why God should listen to them favorably, unless they'd done something that was worthy of God's response. And then finally, the only reason they prayed was to make a request, to ask for something, to get something from God. Now, I want you to be honest about your own life of prayer for a moment. Could, could you acknowledge that sometimes the way that you pray with God or to God looks an awful lot like this? Um, I honestly, I remember when I went to talk to that dear friend, that mentor of mine, and he said, pray. My first thought was I had been praying because I remembered how many times in my office I would try to say in just the right way, God, uh, you're great, uh, you're, you're wonderful, and then, you know, I've been working hard for you, and then every time my prayer was just give me this, and then thank you, click. <laughs> That's what it was like for me. And, and the truth about how prayer worked for the ancient Greeks is that it's instructive to dwell on it for a moment because if we're honest, naturally, quite naturally, we'll tend to behave in just the same way when we think about praying. And the outcome, when that's how you think about prayer, is very uninspiring. After a while, you'll think, I guess I feel like I'm just talking to myself. And there's a reason for that. And, and here it is. Uh, it's quite simply that this is not how prayer is meant to work for God's people. It's not. It's no surprise that when we behave as if we've got to figure out the right formula and then prove to God that he should be listening to us so that we can get from God the things that we've decided we should get, it's no surprise that prayer is very uninspiring and, and, and ineffective when we approach it like that because that's simply not how prayer is supposed to work. And so put this... Uh, Put this to the side for a moment, and if we come back to the words of David that we started with, this uh, report about prayer in Psalm 34, if we pay attention to it carefully, we'll see, in fact, that the way prayer does work for God's people, well, it's almost just the opposite of how it worked for the ancient Greeks. In each one of those three components, um, look again at, at the way he describes prayer and what you will find is that there are no sacred words. Keep, look at all of these words. There's no sacred words up there that David uses to conjure up God's presence. He doesn't pile up titles or special names. He doesn't have a magical formula. Uh, he has no appearance of having figured out the right method. And the implication, if you just take this one moment of prayer and many others beside, is that the way prayer works for God's people, and let's see that for a moment, the way prayer works for God's people, it's not that there is a technique. In fact, it's true that there's no technique for prayer. Uh, if you would just for a moment dwell on the verbs that, that David uses here for prayer, 
Uh, look at the three of them. He seeks, he looks, and he cries. And I just don't think there are any more simple words to use for the kind of natural activity that our hearts are inclined to when our life is full of trouble and we know it. When we're lost and we need some help. When we're trapped and we need someone to free us. When we, we know that we don't know the next way to, to go and we need a guide. I mean, just picture how easy it is to do these things. A woman is at a crossroads and she knows I can't figure it out and I need a guide and so she looks for someone to guide her and that's what prayer is. It's looking for that hand to come and say, go this way. It's the man who is uh, right now lost and alone and he's, he's languishing because he doesn't have what he needs and so he's desperate and he seeks someone to come who's stronger than him and pick him up and deliver him and that's what prayer is. It's just seeking uh, it is very simply, look at that last one, crying. Uh, maybe you've been in that place where it's so desperate for you, you don't have any words anymore. All you can do when you're honest is sigh, and then you start to groan. And as long as no one's around and, and you're able to really be in touch with your feeling, you start to weep and cry. And according to David, that's prayer. It's your heart crying out. So here, this is the first thing to take away, that how prayer works for God's people is, first of all, that there's not a technique. There is just the willingness to allow that natural impulse in you to look and to seek and to cry to be pointed in the right direction. Uh, and when you do that, what you will find is that God himself is already present and waiting for you not because you said the right things or reminded him of what he's done for uh, what you've done for him or or buttered him up but just because he loves you and now listen i'm not going to dwell on this this morning but in the weeks ahead i will what you need to understand is that the moment you're ready to turn yourself toward god he is already attending to you because he loves you more than you could imagine and is waiting for you to come into his presence so he can give you what you need uh, th there will be at least one person in here who thinks, maybe for others, but for me? Uh, I'm not the kind of person who God would want to be with because uh, I know how bad I've been. And by the way, there are people who really struggle with just this thought. If it's not you, if you've never thought that, then I just want to tell you, as a pastor, I've heard plenty of people tell me, God wouldn't want to be with me. And the truth about each and every one of us is if it was up to our own merit, God wouldn't want to be with any one of us. Not just those who are conscious of it. But those of us who would come here this morning and say, well, I've done an awful lot of good. No, God isn't ready to be with you because of your merit either. And if you've been praying, expecting that God will listen to you because of all the good things you've done, I am overjoyed to take that illusion away from you this morning. That's, not, that's how it works in the ancient Greek way, but that's not how it works with God's people. And we know that when we look at David's prayer because of the words that he uses to identify himself in Psalm 34. Look at how he, how he describes himself. This poor soul. Some of you know David's story well, right? You know how shabby his ethical record is. If you don't know David's story, in the weeks ahead when we learn about prayer and confession, we'll look at David's story. But for now, trust me, the fact that he looks at himself and says, poor soul, shows that how prayer works for God's people, it's not merit, it's, it's not merit, it's Christ's merit, actually. 
that gains us a hearing. And David couldn't have known this yet, but what David knew is that even though he was a poor soul, it was God's mercy that made it so God would choose to listen to him. And I want you to understand this this morning too about prayer. It's God's mercy for every one of us that makes it so his ear is ready to listen to no matter what we have to say. And this, I'm gonna unfold this in the weeks ahead, but for now this morning, I want you to understand this. The heart of the message of the Bible, which points to Jesus in the, in the Hebrew scriptures and then unfolds the gift of God's grace in, in the New Testament, is that on our own, all of us should be afraid of ever trying to approach the holy and perfect God but because of what God did in Jesus for us, Christ's merit is for us so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can find help in times of need. Isn't that great? I didn't make that up. That comes from the book of Hebrews, which teaches us that because of the merit that God has chosen to count for those of us who are willing to cry out and say, God, I need your holiness, not my own, and I need your deliverance, is that Christ's merit makes it so at every single moment, God in heaven is ready to receive us when we come to him to pray. Every moment. When we need help, when we're lost, when we're ashamed, when we're afraid, when we're broken, he is always ready to receive us, not because of anything in us, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And that's the second thing about how prayer works for God's people. It's not a technique. It's not our merit. It's Christ's merit. Now, here's the third thing. And we see this in part in what we see here with David's prayer. But we need to understand this clearly, and especially in these weeks ahead. Uh, look again at how David describes prayer in these words. Look to him. Uh, here we get the sense that David was looking to God because he was lost and because he was ashamed and because something in his life made him want to cry. And that's why he looked to God. And so it was true perhaps that he had some requests of God in this moment. But if we zoom out from this text and look more broadly about how prayer functions for God's people, what we will see is that it is not only requests that drive people to God in prayer in the Bible. In fact, it's more than requests. And that's how prayer is meant to work for us. It is that moment when you don't know what to ask for at all, when all you can do is weep and cry. It's that moment when God hears the groans of your heart as a sweet and perfect prayer coming from your heart to his when you don't even know what to ask for, that's prayer. It is that moment when you come to God and you know you can't ask for anything because you're far too guilty to make a request and all you say to him is, God, I'm ashamed of this failure that I personally have been. I should never have talked to my spouse like that. I should never have snapped at my child like that. I should never have returned to that habit again. Oh, I am so guilty and I just feel miserable and this is the wretch that I am. That's prayer. Not to ask for anything, but to say, here's who I am. And maybe then to ask for forgiveness and mercy, and you'll get it. We know it. Prayer is that moment when you go and you finally shut up. 
And you can laugh at that. That's me talking to myself. When you finally stop saying, here, God, are all my good ideas and give me this and that and make this happen and that. When you finally stop trying to give God your strategy and you're quiet long enough to listen to the still and quiet voice of the Lord who says the word that you need to hear. You can't say it to yourself, but when you finally get it all out and then you persist in God's presence and are quiet, prayer is being quiet and hearing his voice. It is asking God for things. It is. It's asking God for the right things and sometimes getting the very thing you asked for. And then prayer is saying, thank you. God, thank you so much. And then saying it again and expressing your gratitude over and over again. Sometimes prayer is going to God and asking for the thing that you're absolutely sure you need and it's the perfect thing and then you don't get it. And God says no. And you ask again and again and again and you never get it. And that's prayer. Now, sometimes prayer is finally figuring out the kinds of things that God's people should be asking for, for effectiveness in mission, for confidence with God's gospel, for hearts that are open to know how rich God's blessings are already, even though you don't see them, for the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, generosity, All of these gifts that await us in prayer, these are going to be the subject matter of my teaching this summer with you because I want you to grow closer to God. I want that for you. I want that for those of you who are Christians already because you need to grow closer to God. I want that for those of you who aren't sure what you believe. Prayer is often the first step that people take to that time where they finally decide, I'm a follower of his, I want that for you. And this is the last thing. For us as a church, I want our growth in this summer to be healthy because God has great things for us to do as a church. And doing those things will require the kind of strength, the kind of humility, the kind of confidence and clarity that comes only from one place from hearing the voice of God in prayer. So listen, how about we start by praying together now? Agreed? And then we'll continue and see what God will do for us in this summer. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for the gift of prayer, uh, for the, the, the amazing truth that you are attentive to us and waiting for us even before we ever turned to you. But but that when we look to you like David encouraged us to, we can be sure that there you are, the divine presence ready to deliver us from fear, ready to take away shame, ready to give us a clear sense of what's next, ready to support us in every way that we need support, ready to help us see what we need that we never even dreamed we need from you. Uh, We thank you that you're ready in prayer to meet us. And we ask now that you would take away some of the understandings that have made it hard for us in the past and already be building us up to know that we don't need to have the right technique, uh, that it's not our merit, but Christ's merit for us that makes it so you're ready to hear us. And and then uh, help us grow today and in the weeks ahead in this summer so that we see the many ways you're waiting for us to grow in prayer in relationship to you. And then we ask that you would make this church into an instrument of your mission so that it could do the many good things that you have for it to do. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.